Voice of Fintech. Welcome to Voice of Fintech, a podcast mapping out the Swiss and global fintech scene, connecting fintech enthusiasts with startups, incubators, accelerators, business angels and VCs, and incumbents interested in partnerships. Voice of Fintech will help you navigate the fintech ecosystem. Here you can listen to the startup founder stories, what investors and incumbents are looking for when dealing with startups, and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're joined by Patrick, who is the chairman of Gen2, and we're going to talk about securitization and uh, securitization by a non-bank, whether that's uh, related to non-bankable assets or digital assets. And uh, we're going to find out more about how this works from a Swiss angle and, uh, you know, disrupting the traditional world uh, dominated by banks who used to do structuring. Patrick, can you uh, tell us a bit about yourself? How did you get to do what you do today? Hi, Rudy. Great to be here. From my background, I have a master's in mathematics, but started uh, 20 years ago in the investment banking on the trading side, so trading derivatives and the sort, and moved then into the world of securitization of structured products with one of the leading issuers here in Switzerland, and was able to actually learn inside out how all that works together. And during that time, I was able to do an entrepreneurial story uh, at Fontrobel back in the days uh, that grew quite large. But after that, I kind of moved on and took the freedom to make up my mind about securitization and structured products. And in a way, you know, how could that done in a different way, in a more disruptive way, more flexible, more simpler and ultimately cheaper and that's what's gen 2 based on which is in a way we focus on securitization but as a disruptor meaning that yes securitization per se is nothing new but we actually stripped off main cost drivers of the structure product or securitization market and added some unique features which gave us the position to have an offering which suddenly becomes very interesting to smaller players, uh, such as smaller uh, independent asset managers or or family offices. All right, great. So what is Gento and what's behind the name? Is it two generations or two gentlemen? And, and also, what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Gento actually refers to Generation 2. So we we think that what we are doing is kind of a generation two of securitization or structured products. We see ourselves as as a disruptor in that space, meaning that we stripped off most of the expensive stuff from the business in favor for additional some new features that helps to make that product eligible for smaller players. All right. And what kind of assets are you securitizing? I mean, are these traditional bankable assets, non-bankable assets and digital assets, I guess? So uh, what is the focus for you and how does that work? What's the difference between, I also know I've heard about Gentoo and Gentoo Digital, right? To begin with that, Gentoo Digital is the part of Gentoo 
which focuses on the securitization of digital assets. So it's actually the other way around that most of the people think of. It's not tokenizing a digital, uh, a real asset or a security to make to bring it on the blockchain to make it eligible for all possible investors. We do the other way around. So we take a digital asset, i.e., a token or a, a digital currency, and bring it via the securitization into a real security that is tradable and clearable such that every bank can buy it and put it into their banking system without the need to actually uh, update their systems to make the systems uh, compatible with the blockchain or with blockchain assets. Right. And you mentioned the costs and obviously, you know, the banks, their investment banking teams, they have still uh, securitization teams, but they used to be at some point much larger. And then the financial crisis hit and, you know, the capital requirements behind these projects were sometimes quite, uh, quite onerous. So what is your unique competitive advantage versus the, the banks, the traditional players? You mentioned the costs. You're not regulated, I guess, as a bank, right? So, you know, obviously, apart from that, uh, what costs are we talking about? Since we were stripping out most of the main cost drivers, we are pretty much aware of where the costs are raised. And first, of, first cost driver, obviously, is regulation, followed by balance sheet cost, as you mentioned. Then again, prospectuses and distribution to retail investors. We kind of all remove those features. And really important is, besides regulation, that we all our vehicles are off-balance sheet vehicles, which means that our clients, neither our clients nor Gen2, needs to consolidate those assets. And hence, we save a lot of balance sheet costs. Right. And who are your target clients? Are these institutional clients only or also your wealthy, uh, qualified investors who are individuals? How does that work? Uh, our target clients are financial intermediaries. So these are asset managers, wealth managers, family offices, but also banks. So I guess EAMs as well, right? EAMs as well, yes, right. And my next point is, uh, well, I asked that everyone, you know, how do you make money? Our revenue drivers are aligned with the expectations of our clients and ultimately with, with the interests of the investors. So we act most we act as a consultant or as an advisor to the financial intermediary. And based on that, we obviously receive a setup fee that allows us to do the whole setup of those off-balance sheet issuance vehicles. And we as well have a fee that is linked to the assets under administration. With that, we actually align our goal with the goal of our clients ultimately to generate more assets under management. All right. And so are these off-balance sheet vehicles kind of tailor-made that you find a client first and you set it up for them? Or do you have particular themes and you kind of manufacture the products and these vehicles and then you market them or, or you do both? That's actually a very good question. First of all, what differs us from other players in the market is that every one of our clients gets an issuance platform. So every one of our clients gets an off-balance sheet issuance vehicle from which you can issue many different products that reflect different projects. So he can issue, for instance, a product that securitizes private debt or private equity, 
or he can do a active managed certificate that invests in trees or in planes, or it could be a hybrid product that does all of that in one product. So he can all do that with our solution. And obviously, it's all bespoke. And that's actually the interesting part of our job. We go where the passion of our clients drives us. So we follow our clients. We don't tell them you need to do this or that. Clients come to us with an idea and we help them to make that idea happen, basically. Right. So you mentioned the, what the clients are passionate about. I, I've seen uh, some of the projects that you, that you uh, have put together, and which sounded like passion projects, right? Uh, there was a project about streaming financing, about sustainable healthcare and the crypto. So can you tell us a little bit more about how did this come about? What, what are these projects about? As, as I just mentioned, we have a wide variety of, of projects. So it starts from, let's say, normal fund-like product, uh, products, for instance, that securitize a certain investment strategy in stocks and bonds. We could also do the same in the crypto space, so an active strategy that invests in cryptocurrencies. But the more down the road we go, the more exotic it becomes. So it starts in bankable moves quite quickly into private equity, private debt projects, but also uh, more into passion projects like we have a, a company, Berry Films. They focus on um, seed financing of movie or film projects. On the other hand, we have companies that uh, invest in sustainability topics, for instance, in investing in trees or forestry, and again, other uh, companies that focus more on uh, back financing of peer-to-peer platforms. So this is really the fun part to see all those different things coming up. So can you tell us a bit about the streaming financing? Because you know everybody this year talks about pandemics and Obviously, it's been awful 2020, uh, you know, for anyone in any industry. But uh, there are some industries or some companies who have benefited, and maybe Netflix is one of them, right? When people stay at home, maybe they watch more Netflix than than they would have otherwise, and or other streaming companies like um, Amazon Prime or uh, or Apple Plus. So, how does your how does your project? relate to funding movies and the streaming financing? Yes, a client of us, Barry Films, they are present in LA and in Berlin. They came actually up with the idea of a, of a, a seed financing of film projects. So their idea is basically that, yeah, all those big streaming uh, companies like Netflix, Disney, Amazon, and so on, they are in need of content. So... They are looking for content and Barry Films will focus with their product in actually generating content or the project. So they will actually source a script, they will source a director, they will source all the actors and bundle a package and then they sell the package to, for instance, Netflix and Netflix does the production of, of the film and then obviously royalties flow back into the in the in that certificate from which then the investors that do the pre-financing of that seed project can profit. So you have a uncorrelated return in an industry that is booming these days. Right. And I think they're also looking for more and more local content, right? 
uh, especially on Netflix, where it's they don't want just the American produced uh, shows, right? So in Switzerland, totally, yeah. in Switzerland, there are a few that are at the top which were produced by German production companies, right? Yes, uh, I was also one of the people watching Dark. So. Uh, yeah, or or biohackers. Oh, biohackers, not yet, but I need to watch it soon. I mean, you mentioned a little bit about the regulation, but so let's be uh, crystal clear. How are you regulated? Are you in a financial intermediary under Swiss law or what's your status? So our regulatory status is that we are not regulated at all. Uh, we did uh, approach the Swiss regulator, FINMA, in order to, to ask whether they see it the same way and they confirmed that we and our setup in general is not is not regulated. All right. Um, but, uh, you know, when you deal with securitized products, often people have big discussions about liability for performance, right, of these products. There have been cases in the past where the clients, you know, they said, yes, we sign on the dotted line. We understand this is a high-risk product, but then they did have a debate or an issue, right? So how do you deal with liability for performance here? For us, with every product, there is a so-called product manager associated. So the product manager is the one taking care of the product. And the product manager usually might be an independent asset manager or a wealth manager, he is also the one who has the client in the back. So it's actually the same level of trust as if the client would allow him to invest his assets directly in those exotic as, uh, instruments. So you manufacture the product, but you say you don't distribute? That's correct. We are just uh, an administrator, if you may say. And it, it's the same. You, For instance, if you look at the Madoff funds, yeah. right? No one would sue the administrator. Just to be clear there, we are not exposed to any investment decision. For us, we are just an operating company. We just take care about the operational aspects. All right, understood. Well, I mean, there is some operational risk there as well, but it's a different story than uh, the underlying performance, right? Obviously, there is operational risk, yes. All right, so... How did you see pandemic affect your business this year? I mean, uh, obviously, people working from home. There are some pe- some sectors are hit heavily because people don't go out and spend. Was there any effect on you, or maybe reshuffling of the sectors that you're focusing on? In our business, we always had a bit of a seasonality. So we usually summer months were always the best months, and we also saw that during the let's say lockdown of the pandemic. When people have time to think, they rather come up with the idea or with the conclusion that they should work with us. So we had quite a good April this year. So people closed quite a lot of deals with us. But on the other hand, existing clients, they were a bit more cautious in, in doing new products because no one really knew where the market is going. But all that changed after people went back to the office again. So there, the story completely changed. And the existing clients, they suddenly started to, to issue many different projects and products. And we kind of were a bit overwhelmed by the, the number of requests that we were facing. On the other hand, the new clients were a bit more quiet. So it kind of 
balances it out. Right. So great. Good to good to hear. Uh, you know, not everybody has seen the same kind of effect. So that's brilliant. And uh, you, you started your business two years ago in 2018, right? So where are you on your journey in terms of uh, products or geographic reach or funding and hiring? And also maybe when you compare with this, it's been only two years, but is the original vision still the same as you had when you started or did you have to uh, adjust it as you moved along? Well, as every startup, you need to to adjust your business model and your ideas according where the market is. So in the beginning, we had rather the thought that our our market is independent asset managers and there it's uh, active managed certificate on bankable assets. And... Quite soon, we realized that also the private market is quite an important part of our business model and gets more and more important. So right now, we have probably 35%-ish around um, bankable assets and more than 60% in non-bankable assets. Ultimately, we are quite lucky. We have so far issued 160 products within this a bit more than two years. We did set up nine more than 90 issuance vehicles and we have right now around 500 million assets under administration so yes business is going quite well all right great and uh, so what are the next steps for you later this year and beyond uh, do you have any visibility in this this environment our next steps are obviously we are in the middle of a funding round which we are closing quite soon or at least the first part of it that helps us to scale even more our business to drive also our international internationalization efforts forward because we see already requests coming in from outside of Switzerland. So around 20% of our clients are non-Swiss clients, even though we don't have any sales presence outside of Switzerland. So that's also a number on which we can build on. Okay, and so what's the best way to reach you and what kind of people would you like to hear from most, whether that's uh, people who want to uh, want your help with securitizing or investing in, uh, in such assets uh, through you? How does that work? For us, it's very important that the people that need us find us. So it's usually uh, we are quite well in, on LinkedIn present, so you can... Um, Connect me via LinkedIn. You can check our homepage, uh, drop us a message there, or or call us. People that come to us usually have a problem to solve, a investment case, and they have investors, and they seek a way to efficiently com- uh, link those two parties. And obviously, a bankable security with a Swiss ISIN is one of the best ways to link that too. All right. Well, great to hear. Thank you very much, Patrick, and good luck to Gento. Many thanks, Rudy. Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at Happy to hear from you. Thank you.